aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david Bax, and thank you for listening david yes how you doing um as usual i'm conflicted oh okay why is that i'm torn okay uh, like natalie and brulia or edna swap before her um uh, <laughs> it is a deep 90s pop joke yeah i'm sorry <laughs> i got nothing uh so i'm very bummed that Direct, directors of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, whom I like, mm-hmm. were removed from um, uh, from making the Han Solo, uh, whatever, the movie that I don't care about. Right. <laughs> um, I guess that's part of why I'm, I'm conflicted on multiple counts. Like, yeah. I don't really care. Like, a part of me is like, oh, good. No, I, you know, I'll see whatever they make next. It'll yeah. be more them, hopefully, because I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, I don't think this is the end of the career, their career. Um, I don't think they're Josh Trank over here. Um, yeah, boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so uh, I'm conflicted about that. I'm bummed that, you know, they got fired because them making that movie made me want to see it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happy uh, that they're, um, that they're that they're moving on but i'm also conflicted in, in the way that i usually am in which i'm annoyed at film twitter this is something that you and i talk okay. about have we're just talking about off mic i think yeah. um uh, a little bit ago uh in like the this sim- similar th- a somewhat similar thing happened but this is even weirder to me uh with the uh, ant-man where yeah. everyone was like, Edgar Wright got fired. Who's this joke, Peyton Reed? It's like, hold on. Right. Peyton Reed makes good fucking movies. And guess what? Ant-Man came out and Peyton Reed made a good fucking movie. Yeah. And I, I wasn't kinda, a huge fan of it, but it still had a lot of life to it. Um, and now I'm feeling this sort of weird anti Ron Howard, uh, vibe mm-hmm. on Twitter, which is like, do we hate Ron Howard? I, I didn't know that. Like he's made some good movies and some bad movies. Yeah. Um, but like he's not, you know, some, I mean, I don't think of Ron Howard as like a, a, an industry hack or whatever. Do you? Hmm. No, I don't. Uh, nor do I see him as like company man or like an order taker or anything like that. Uh, I do see him as if it's possible to be excessively conventional, then I, that's how I see him. But having recently rewatched uh, Apollo 13 in yeah. the theater, yeah. like, which I think is a wonderful film. And I think in my opinion, undeniably his best film, um, you know, he is, a, he is still a very capable director. Um, I think people were just like yourself. People are, you know, over the moon for, uh, Lord and Miller, but, from what it's, I'm, I'm kind of okay with them going their separate ways, uh, with, because it's not merely that, that Disney, uh, had a pro or Kathleen Kennedy had a problem. Yeah. Lawrence Kasdan also wasn't super thrilled with what they were doing. And that actually holds more weight for me. Now, in the end, I still think that they, as the director should be allowed to do whatever it is they, they want yeah, to it's do. It's no surprise to me that a writer has a problem with people who notoriously rely on improvisation in right. movies. And I think in a way, while I would still be interested to see what they produce, uh, I think it is probably a, a, a good step in the right direction because while I'm all for experimentation, even within an established franchise, I do think that a film needs to at least vaguely tonally resemble that larger world. And I think with that much improv, I think maybe it wouldn't. Um, but at the same time, know. and that's the thing is I'm not as fan. I'm not as big a fan of them as you are. Uh, cause I'm not a huge fan of the Lego movie. I, though I do like the 21 jump street movies. Um, and of course, last man on earth is, is them. Right. 
Yeah. And I think, and I think that actually bodes best as far as the type of Han Solo movie they would make. But when it comes right down to it, Han Solo as a character is not uh, the big thing that people have been saying is like star Lord from galaxy mm-hmm. uh, guardians of the galaxy. And it's like, he's not actually that he's not actually a comical character. He is a wisecracking guy who's just going to say what he thinks. And that's different than being kind of a goofball. And from what it sounds like, that's what they're kind of trying to make him, which I still think it would have been good. I think it would have been good outside of what star Wars is. Uh, but nonetheless, it bothers me when a director is fired and yeah, but I, I, I don't agree. Like I'm, I'm fine with it having a different tone than the other movies. That doesn't, that yeah. doesn't immediately stick out to me. And I wonder how, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, guardians of the galaxy is one thing, but I wonder based on the marketing, uh, I wonder how people will react to Thor Ragnarok, which seems even more yeah. goofy yeah. than the guardians of the galaxy movies. And I wonder if Thor Ragnarok's a huge hit, uh, are, are Kathleen Kennedy and Lawrence Kasdan going to be like, oh, we dropped the ball. Like maybe this is what people want. Well, I think Lawrence Kasdan just has a very specific idea of what he wants to do. And as a writer, he's allowed to do that. But um, I will say that I look forward to as, as cautious as I was about them directing the film, I was still excited about it and, and interested. I am, Ron Howard, again, capable director. I don't think he's a studio hack or anything like that, but I'm less excited for the film with him making it because I don't think he's going to go too far in any direction. I don't know. I, maybe I like Ron Howard more than you do. Even though when I look at his movies, I'm like, eh, a lot of these are just okay. But I guess yeah. when I hear Ron Howard's making has a movie coming out, I'm always interested. It's going to be solid. I, I never saw uh, Rush, which people, which I think I didn't no one saw. I, the I heard it was saw right. it, Like did I yeah. think? Yeah. Uh, but this is he made um, uh, Apollo 13. You mentioned yeah. a cocoon. We talked about recently. He made Parenthood, which is a really good movie. That's true. Um, uh, Ransom is a movie that I have always liked. No. Yeah. Uh, but I want to read um, Frost Nixon. I liked Frost Nixon. I didn't see that one. Yeah, maybe I haven't seen any of his recent stuff because I, I, people really like Cinderella Man, and I thought that was middle of the road. Um, I thought that that's the thing is I thought that was an effect, a solid, effective movie. Uh huh. Doesn't really stick with me, but I could see myself rewatching it pretty easily, and maybe that's honestly what they're looking for—a movie that can be rewatched and enjoyed, but it's not going to really. It's not going to uh, shake things up. Yeah. Which um, I think he is a good director for that. Uh, uh, well, uh, I want to read a tweet from uh, Mark Harris, the guy who wrote Five Came Back, the book. Right, um, right. That uh, he managed to put in words exactly what I was thinking, and I wouldn't have been able to to crystallize it this way. He said, there's a strain of film criticism that reveres reliable craftsmen if they're dead, but devalues its living prote- practitioners like Ron Howard. Yeah. And I have felt that... Not just because of this. I felt that a long time. Like when I, you know, the past couple of years I've attended the Turner Classic Movies Fest and a lot of mm-hmm. those are like real strong, solid, middle of the road, conventional, you know, uh, yeah. uh, dramas and comedies and stuff. And people uh, love that kind of stuff. And the same people are bored by that sort of competence, I guess, Yeah. Um, in newer stuff sometimes. And maybe, maybe I'm guilty of it too, but... Um, I did feel like uh, in mourning the loss of the Han Solo movie we were going to get, right. I don't want to uh, 
be, you know, crucifying Ron Howard. <laughs> I wanted to define and to defend Ron Howard a little bit. Yeah, I was as I was uh, at the gym today getting swole as uh, as you and I were talking about off mic. Off mic. Yeah. Um, the uh, on the TVs there is an interview with Ron Howard uh, about this and. Uh, and unfortunately I couldn't hear it, but just in, in looking at it, it just got me thinking about it and reflecting on his filmography and just thinking like, while I have not seen any of the Da Vinci code movies and I've heard, I've heard all of them are not that good. I can't believe there's three of them. I know. Um, so putting those aside, I will say that if I wrote a script and I heard that Ron Howard was going to make it, I would think, well, at least it's going to be at least made very well, uh-huh. m- more than competent. Yeah. Um, I think it would it will be a very enjoyable experience. It, it like I said, it's not going to shake things up. It's not going to like break new ground or anything like that. But you could do a lot worse than a genuinely entertaining, capably made film. And I think that's what we're going to get. And I think a lot of people are just yeah, it's it's that it's that thing of like, we get so excited about this one thing because it's very in the moment. Edgar Wright is very in the moment. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are very in the moment, not to imply that they won't last, but it's very like, people are very excited about it right now. And anything that isn't that, yeah, they, they'll denigrate. Um, an interesting, uh, note to end on the, just a little interesting little bit of, uh, trivia. Speaking of Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. I was just reading about how, when Edgar Wright, went to wanted when he was going to start making baby driver Mm -hmm. one of the people he sought the counsel of is ron howard because he liked the driving scenes in rush and he was like i want to know how you shot those that's neat it's interesting confluence there that i i I, I literally just read that like two days ago Uh, and that's the other thing is like that i have not seen rush but like the driving scenes in rush and frankly so much in apollo 13 is incredibly ambitious but Ron Howard is such, I think, a, I think he, I think the movies that he, I think the way he approaches film is humble. Um, uh-huh. And I think he makes movies that, he can make movies that are incredibly ambitious, but don't seem like it. He, I feel like with, with Apollo 13, I don't think he was ever saying, can you believe what, uh, check this out, isn't this amazing? Uh-huh. Uh, and I think honestly, with a lot of modern film Twitter, I think uh, a director who's willing to say, can you believe this shit? Which is very Edgar Wright. Uh-huh. Um, I think that is somehow, and, and I'd say it's Tarantino and a lot of filmmakers that people like now. Uh, I think there's somehow, uh, there's a premium put on uh, directors who really want to call your attention to this. And so like, I think Ron Howard is from like an older school of filmmaking. And I think he just says like, no, I'm going to do this. And I want you to be awed by some of this, mm-hmm. but not by me. I want you to be awed by the story that's being told. Not necessarily. I don't want you to even be thinking of me when I make this movie. Right. So, and I don't know if that's actually true, but I do think that that is how I think of him as a filmmaker. So, um, yeah. Um, but I'm just now remembering how much in the heart of the sea sucked. <laughs> oh, I forgot he made that. Although there's still a lot of elements to that that I do like from a visual standpoint. And yeah, I don't think that's, that's him really. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, it's also his willingness to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was, that movie was a bummer. I, I really liked, I really wanted to like it. Like we talked about my last yeah, me week too. with my pirate stuff on the movie journal. <laughs> yeah. I like nautical stuff apparently. Yeah. Uh, and I, that one didn't, didn't work out for me anyway. Um, 
Let's pay some bills. Absolutely. All right. So this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. All right. Currently available on Mubi is Jeff Lipsky's Molly's Theory of Relativity. Now, I, I, I hate to say I had not heard of this, but it is uh, considered one of the more uh, notable uh, independent films of the last few years. Uh, the story is about a young astronomer about to make the first reckless decision of her life. I tried to figure out what that was, but I realized, <laughs> oh, I guess that's a spoiler, so they're not going to leave with that. Um, uh, so with various family members helping her out along the way. And just in case you thought that the film was a stro- uh, straightforward indie drama, it should be noted that some of these family members are dead. Uh, it is a film about the economy, the pride we take in what we do for a living, and the bonds of family. So, and uh, in looking it up, it's just as as is often the case uh, with almost anything that Mubi uh, puts out. It always sounds really interesting to me, uh, and this uh, and it makes me it frustrates me because this is an American film. Uh, it frustrates me that I had not heard of it until this moment. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there's a lot uh, of movies that come out that you don't hear of. I know. Stay tuned for me talking about the, some of the oh, great indeed. stuff I saw at LA Film Fest that you indeed. probably never get a chance to see, unfortunately. Yeah. That bums me out. That's one of the things that bums me out about this episode, or really any film festival episode, <laughs> where it's just like, hey, that sounds pretty good. The end. Um, Okay, but anyway, so there's also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com, slash Battleship. That's how you get the one one month free, slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great, they sound great, Tyler and I use them each and every day, and they're available at a low, low price at TweakedAudio.com, but if if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and uh, for earbuds and use your offer could use the offer code pretension. Mm-hmm. I like I should mention again, earbuds. I mentioned sure. at the top. Anyway, offer code pretension. Mm-hmm. Tyler. Yes. I also want to tell you what's on the website. Okay. Uh, normally we do that. Normally we do the ads earlier, but I couldn't, I had to get into the Ron Howard stuff right off the bat. Indeed. Um, I'll tell you one thing that's on the website. Absolutely. Is, uh, my, my new beguiled, uh, uh, review. Yes. By the time you're hearing this, it should definitely, definitely be on the website. Absolutely. If it's not Tyler and I (laughs) have trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what's going on the website? So, uh, it's mid month, uh, or a little bit past mid month. So, um, Jim's, uh, crossing the streams, his monthly column, mm-hmm. what's coming and what's going and what's interesting and streaming, uh, is available. All of my LA film fest coverage. Well, not all there's, uh, there's two films that I probably still haven't reviewed. <laughs> um, the last two I saw, I just been, look, I work 40 hours a week right. and I go to a film festival. It's tough to fit in, fit in time to find, to, to write reviews. Plus, um, immediately after we're recording this and then before I'm posting this, uh, I'm going to Las Vegas again. So I'm not going to have a chance to write these last two reviews. Right. So they're probably going to go up next week, but most of my LA film fest coverage, my reviews are up there. You've got, uh, uh, Sarah working her way through the top 100. Uh, still she's, she's a, she's a blue velvet. She writes about, you've got reviews, uh, this week, uh, Josh reviews uh, the Bad Batch. You've got Tyler's review of the Big Isle, as I mentioned. Uh, my review of the Big Sick is up there. Um, 
You've got uh, Jim still working his way through uh, a month of Jim Jar- uh, Jim Jarmusch movies, mm-hmm. um, and he's on to my personal favorite. So Dead would you Man. say he's he's talking to Jim Jarmusch? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he's my favorite Dead Man. Um, uh, sequel cast took a sequel cast two. Sorry, took a break from Hellraiser to play to pay uh, tribute to Adam West, mm-hmm. and they posted a uh, commentary track for the 1966 Batman movie. All right, um, which is fun. Uh, Scott has r- picked up the baton again on Romarathon, returning to the uh, his look at oh, all yeah. the films of Eric Romare. Uh, he's got Pauline to the be- Pauline at the beach. Uh, and Aaron's got the Chicago report. No one letting you know what's going on in rep screenings in Chicago. Do you think when Scott is done with Romero, do you think we could have him do the Romero thon and talk about George Romero? Uh, yeah, that sounds like it's right up Scott's alley. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So, um, I saw, well, I'm going to say that I saw 12 movies at, uh, LA film fest. Really three of them. I had already seen. So I saw, I saw nine movies at the festival, um, but I'm going to start with the three that I'd already seen. Okay. Um, I don't you saw see- them at Sundance, I assume. Um, I saw one of these at Sundance and two, I just saw at press screenings okay. um, before the festival. Um, uh, one of them is Maudie, which I talked about on a recent movie journal. Right. So I don't have to go much, too much into it. Um, uh, it's a movie about uh, Maude Lewis, the uh, Nova Scotian folk artist mm-hmm. uh, starring Hawk and Hawkins. Yeah. Ethan Hawk and Sally Hawkins. Um, and uh, I, I, I liked it. A lot of people didn't seem to. I tell you who loved it. Who's that? Armand White. He was a big fan of that one. Maybe I better rethink. Yeah. <laughs> He's, I unfollowed him on Twitter, by the way, which is tough for me because I enjoyed following him like... He's like, you know, a perspective I didn't often get. Sure. But I feel like since the beginning of the Trump administration, Armand right. White has gone like full troll to where it's not even funny to me anymore. Yeah. It's still interesting to uh, to read his reviews on National Review, because even though I would say that the, the writing of most articles on that uh, website are higher than you would find in most political on most political websites. I guess it's a magazine as well. Uh, there's that first. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, sometimes he's just so obtuse in his writing that it's just fun to see conservatives be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Yeah. Uh, so it's nice that he, he bothers literally everybody. Um, national review, by the way, we don't, we don't need to get too much into this cause it's okay. like, uh, but, uh, Popped up in my SJW Twitter feed for good reasons this past week. Oh, okay. Because they, uh, I guess, posted an editorial coming out against the uh, verdict in the Philando Castile uh, yeah. case. Uh, and so people were like, you know, even the National Review thinks this. Is, yeah. Uh, so that came up a lot. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a very frustrating uh, day. And I can't even imagine what it was for uh, his friends and family. Indeed. Um Okay, the next thing that I do when I did see at Sundance is The Little Hours, um, which is the uh, very modernized, even though it still takes place in the 1300s or whatever, but language-wise modernized take on um, um, the the Decameron. Uh, so you, you, I, I still recommend checking that out. It's it's very funny. Um, and then I'll talk. I, ha- I haven't had a chance to talk at all on the podcast before about the big sick. So I will take a few minutes to talk about the big sick. Mm. Um, it's out in theaters, at least in Los Angeles and New York and maybe some other markets. Um, at the time you're hearing this, um, 
and it is, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it's the, uh, it's directed by Michael Showalter, written by Camille Langiani and Emily Gordon, starring Camille Langiani as a version of himself and starring mm-hmm. Zoe Kazan as a version of, of Emily, of his wife, Emily Gordon. Um, uh, and it's produced by Judd Apatow. And I will say, I think this is, without any real strong competition, the best movie that Judd Apatow has ever had anything to do with. Hmm. Uh, and that's coming from someone who likes Knocked Up. Uh, I like Knocked Up quite a bit, actually. I do um, like Superbad a lot. Yeah, I think this is a better movie than Superbad. Okay. Um, it might not be as funny as Superbad, although it is really funny. In fact, okay. maybe it is funnier than Superbad. It's just a different kind of funny. There's sure. a lot of... Uh, I don't know if you know the premise. So it's, I do, yeah. Um, the movie's, uh, it's a full two hours, Judd Apatow style, uh, but it actually doesn't waste any of that time, if you can imagine. Um, <laughs> unlike, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's remarkably focused for a Judd Apatow production. I, you know, I, I put that on the screenplay and on Michael Showalter, who is like, uh, it, Michael Showalter is kind of like what you were talking about with Ron Howard in a way. Like, yeah. despite him making his name in one of the seminal sketch comedy uh, groups um, of all time and being kind of an iconoclast in that, mm-hmm. as a director, he's very sort of conventional. Yeah. And, and and this is the best use of his of his talents um, uh, so far. Um, and this is uh, okay. So the story, Camille uh, Langiani and Emily. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think her name's Gordon in the movie, but Camille and Emily are courting and then they have a big fight and sort of, sort of break up, even though they don't like, they don't say we're breaking up, but they have a big fight. And then right after that, she goes into a coma mm. and he, um, is there and by her side and helping her and becomes, uh, spends a lot of the movie with her parents, um, and sort of goes through this weeks long process of like, through her family and through those connections, like falling in love with her all over again. Yeah. Um, well, she's still, you know, suspended in the state of, they just broke up. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of humor that's on the darker side because it kind of sure. has to be to cope with that. There's a great, um, moment, the moment she, when she's in the coma in the hospital and Camille Nanjiani, I can just say Camille, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to get confused with another, you know, comic comedian actor right. named Camille. <laughs> All right. Uh, Camille wants to, he needs to call her parents right. to tell her, tell them that the daughter's in, in a coma. And he, so he goes into her phone and it's locked. So he takes her comatose finger oh, <laughs> to, boy. To, to do the touch ID. Oh, so he wow. can go in and find, uh, and he's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, there's That's a, funny. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of great bits, uh, great moments like that. Um, and, um, Oh, there was something I was going to say that I was like, oh, I'll put a pin in that and come back. And I completely can't remember what it was. Uh, fuck. One of the big things that I'm excited about with that film is that, uh, cause I could have seen it. I could have seen it for more than one lesson, but I was busy seeing 47 meters down. I feel like yeah. I, I feel like I lost. Um, yeah, but you know what you commit. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Uh, uh but I'm excited for, uh, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Yeah. And uh, they're, uh, fantastic. Of course. Um, I won't go in. This one would be, uh, too long to explain. And plus I want to, uh, people to discover for themselves, but there's a moment that's like not dark, but there's a very sad moment with Ray Romano that is also very funny. Nice. Um, in which he's, the basically he's being sad very loudly <laughs> <laughs> like uh like in the host uh, <laughs> yeah not not quite that uh, yeah. absurd but well how could it be yeah yeah um 
the thing I was going to say is that like you and I were talking again off mic about uh, 2017 is really, really shaping up to be a good movie year for me. Like, yeah. um, and I've got stuff like uh, the new Bong Joon-ho movie that I don't know how to say the name of uh, the Netflix movie. Yeah. Uh, Okja. Okja. I don't, I don't I believe, know if that's, yeah. that's how you say it. I've got a ghost story coming up. Like I've mm. got, like there's a lot of stuff that I haven't seen yet. It's supposed to be good. That are supposed to be good. And it's not even the year isn't even halfway over. I'm very excited, but this has been a really strong year for me. A surprisingly strong year for, I'm not going to say studio releases. Cause the big sick is technically an independent movie. And not technically mm-hmm. it is an independent movie. It's just, you know, Chad Apatow produced. It's not, right. you know, a scrappy little indie or whatever, right. but conventional type of movies in which like, three of my top five movies of the year so far are get out wonder woman and the big sick. Yeah. Like, and those are, you know, very down the, you know, <laughs> uh, down the middle of the lane type of type of movies. Yeah. Um, but in many ways they're not as well. Yeah. And that's what makes them so great is that's what movies you can go down the middle of the lane. You know what? You can still get a strike. Yeah, that's right. What do you think of that? Yeah, that works. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's beside the point. Um, the big sick is just, it's just fantastic. It's, um, uh, although, okay, then we'll move on. I'll say, because I always have to say something that like sticks in my craw about other people. Okay. It seems like, doesn't it seem like every couple of years there's a romantic comedy that's really good and people are like, finally a good romantic comedy. And it's like, did you forget about obvious child and enough said like two of the, like there have already been at least two great romantic comedies in the 2010s alone, if, if not more than that. And there, there are probably more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I'm not it, thinking of. And so it kind of pisses me off that every time people are like, finally, as if we've just been getting Catherine Heigl movies every yeah, weekend yeah. for the past 10 years. Um, Has she been making any movies lately? That's uh, where my mind goes to when I think of this kind of thing. And yeah, I don't remember the last thing she was in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she had that TV show, uh, very briefly that I can't remember the name of now. Um, what was that called? That wasn't covert affairs. Was it? It was like a boring name. Like boy, that. Oh boy. Yeah. I have no idea. Uh, I watched the, this is back when I used to do that. Uh, the show that's on hiatus. I, my, my TV podcast will come back someday. Sure. Ugh. Um, and so I used to watch weird pilots, uh, cause Paul would make me. So there was a very bad pilot that she was in. Um, and then before that there was like, yeah, the, the ugly truth or killers like, Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Boy. Yeah, no, thank you. And then uh, Life as We Know It was one. I don't remember that one. That's with Josh uh, Dumal. Oh, okay. Um, if that's how you Tad say Hamilton. his name. What was it? Tad Hamilton himself. Oh, and, oh, wow. Yes, that's exactly who it was. <laughs> State of Affairs was the name of the one you're talking oh, about. Okay, so not, yeah. co- but there was a show called Covert Affairs. I'm almost entirely sure. Probably. Important. Okay, so, uh, yeah, definitely check out The Big Sick. Now we're going to get into, like, the real, you know, the festival stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is the stuff that most of this, most of this doesn't have distribution yet. A couple of these things do. Um, uh, I'm going to start with one that I really wanted to like. Uh, Tyler, it's called Beauty Mark. Okay, uh, I wanted to like it because it is. Uh, I, I, you know, it gives a voice and it gives justice, as people say, to uh, people that that need it, which are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Sure. The premise of the movie is that uh, a woman who's she's twenty four years old, um, and she she has a she's a single mom and she takes care of her mom who's an unemployed alcoholic and she does all that working at a convenience store and then she gets evicted from their house because of black mold not because of anything she did wrong right but they're like the city tells her you can't live there anymore yeah so she has to find a new place which means she needs um you know first month last month and right. security deposit which is not like 
as someone who has been broke before and not this kind of but broke, like some, you know, she lives 40, she lives paycheck to paycheck. $40 is a lot yeah. of money, much less the 1800 she's going to need or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so she needs money and she, uh, decides maybe she can finally make this guy who molested her when he was five years old, you know, uh, when he was five years old, when she was five years old, yeah. um, pay in a way. And he said like, she wants to sue him, but the statute of limitations is up. And so to me that, that sets up a really interesting dramatic conflict sure. of like her reasoning for do it and doing it. And like other, cause she tries to rally other girls that he, uh, you know, or other women who were girls and who were molested by him as girls. And, they kind of call her out on this. Like why, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to put my life together. Why are you dragging this up now? Because you need money. Like it seems, yeah, it seems, you know, crass, but also it's not, she needs to take care of, she needs her son needs to right. have a place to live. You know, it's not vulgar, but it feels vulgar. And the movie, I think, I feel like it, uh, it, it kind of abandons that, mm. that conflict too early on. And eventually it just becomes about like, it becomes something like uh, it's a movie that makes a lot of statements and they're statements that I agree with, but it's also just, it's very dry and it doesn't make for a good movie. Unfortunately. Um, the, uh, the best part is the actor, um, who plays the, 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 the predator, the, Mm -hmm. the molester, um, is Jeff Kober. Do you know who he is? Um, no, I am going to pull up a picture of him. Uh, I know him primarily as a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer because he played a character. He actually played two different characters on Buffy, um, but one was uh, uh, in full vamp makeup, okay. uh, vampire makeup. So we call them vamps in the Buffy fan community. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, and you and want he, me to join this community at some point? Yeah. Um, so he played a character named Rack, uh, who was a sort of like a magical drug dealer type. He was sure. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm gonna pull up. A, okay. This is the guy. I'm sure you've seen him in something. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. He was in. Uh, I believe he was in The Walking Dead. He's a very interesting actor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, and I gotta say, uh, I buy him as that. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. but there's also he is interesting because he has a very intimidating look about him. Yeah. But also can be very soulful. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I had an experience, a Jeff Cober experience. Right before the movie, he was behind That's his me. band, right? Uh, what's that? That's his band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was behind me in the concession line. I was getting some popcorn. I don't normally mm-hmm. have popcorn in the movies, usually, especially not movies about like child abuse, like sexual abuse. Yeah. But I needed something when you're, you know, I knew I was like I was yeah. seeing another movie after this, and I was like, I need to eat something. Yeah. I'm not going to have time, so I was getting some popcorn. And this happens to me all the time, especially at the Arclights for some reason. Uh, when I get in a line and it ends up being the slowest moving line, everyone around yeah. me, but then I feel like I'm committed to this line. Like, and I feel like if I move the line I'm in is going to start moving. I have no problem like, jumping lines. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm committed. So I was finally up. It was like, there was one person in front of me and like this, the, the, the young woman who was working the counter just like was taking forever to do anything. She kept forgetting things. Oh, and so boy. she kept like, it took her forever to put salt on a pretzel. It was like, I was watching, it was like, like torture, like <laughs> just staring at her, putting salt on the pretzel. And then like, it's finally like, she's about to move up onto me next and Jeff Cobra behind me. And then she realizes like, Oh, I forget your cheese for the pretzel. And she has to run into the back. And at the s- same time I said, uh, I said, Jesus fucking Christ. And Jeff Cobra went motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did have a little, a little bit of a moment, uh, there. Um, anyway, 
Uh, okay, so that's that's Beauty Mark. Uh, that's okay. the first movie that I saw. The second movie I saw, which is uh, is I I think is yeah definitely is my favorite thing of the entire festival. It's kind of a bummer when the second thing you see out of yeah. nine is your favorite, but I ended up seeing some really good stuff too. But this is a movie called And Then I Go, and oh right yeah uh, a uh, a part of me like almost because I went in like blank I didn't know what it was about a part of me like doesn't want to ruin that sure. for other people. But I also know like this is what the hook of the movie is. This is all you're going to hear about it. So I'm going to go ahead and say what it's about. It's about this kid. He's 14 years old and he's sort of a, you know, he's not a nerd or whatever. He's just like a kind of an outcast. He's got one friend. He's kind of an angry kid who gets picked on a uh, middle schooler. Like he's, he's exactly who I was. And mm-hmm. I felt myself, the movie is so good at little, there's little moments of like his locker sticking and like just uh, everything feels so natural and realistic that I was like, I'm, I, I'm feeling this kid. I'm, I am this, right. this kid. And so when about half an hour in, you realize that this is about a kid who he and his friend are planning a school shooting. Ah. It's, um, suddenly very jarring to realize how, deeply you have sympathized with, yeah. with, with this. And then whether or not they go through the shooting is the, the you know, that's what the movie's building up to. Oh, this, okay. isn't, this isn't like a, we need to talk about Kevin's situation. Like the whole movie, like the, you know, the morning of the, the shooting, whether or not it takes place is the very end of the movie. So, yeah. um, uh, um, I don't know. I just, I'm not going to go into whether or not the kid, uh, goes, goes through with it, but it's, uh, do you remember when I went to the, um, I talked recently on a movie journal, I went to the Colcoa city of light city of angels festival and I saw a movie called heaven will wait, which is about a uh, young you know, French, uh, teenage girls getting radicalized as, yes, into, yes. and, uh, as, as Muslim or is, you know, uh, Islamic, uh, ISIS, you know, suicide bombers and yeah. stuff. And, um, I felt very disappointed with the movie because it did some of the same thing that like movies like 13 did, which is they take on the parents point of view right. and it becomes this sort of like scare tactic, like where you're, you know, do you know what your kids are doing? And like yeah. what I loved about it and then I go and what I fear a lot of people will be turned off by mm-hmm. about it is that it is fully with the kid. Yeah. It is. And I think it's. Uh, it's a head like I would understand someone just being like I can't be in this headspace for 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 ninety something minutes. It's 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 really heavy. Like but from point- what it sounds like, the the first my guess is a lot of people felt that way in middle school and high school as you described. Yeah, and it sounds like for a while that's what it is, and people will be like, oh, I, I this is what you know uh, this is what I experienced, and it, it uses that to get you to a place where yes, maybe you're not comfortable yeah. sympathizing with that, but that, way, that works for me. Maybe my reaction is being colored by the fact that I went to the, uh, went to the lounge for a free beer brought to you mm-hmm. by golden road brewing, uh, <laughs> at the festival. Um, and just, I went alone, but I just ran into, just started talking to somebody else who had turned, who told me he walked out. Oh, wow. Um, so okay. maybe I'm being, my reaction is being colored by this one guy I met who, no. who hated it so much that he left the movie. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I, and you know me, I normally don't stay for Q and A's anyway, cause right. I found them so annoying, but I was, I would have been interested to stay for this one, but I was so like, I was so shooken up by the movie yeah. that I had to go into the men's room and sort of like, 
it was like, I don't even know if like cry is the right word. I just had to kind of like pull myself together right. because I was like, I can't believe. And the, it's because the, the performance is the two main kids. Um, uh, Edwin and Flake are the characters names. Um, and, uh, um, I don't know the, their names are in my review. You can check out my review if you want the yeah. actors' names. They're great. The adult cast is fantastic. Cause this is a, another thing that I haven't said yet. Uh, and it is, uh, something I look for in even the heaviest of movies is the movie actually has a sense of humor and yeah. you can see it in the way in its casting. His parents are played by Melanie Linsky and Justin Long. Yes. Justin Long is playing suburban dads now. <laughs> um, and, uh, his art teacher is Carrie Preston. Do you know who she is? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's, uh, I know her mostly from TV stuff. She was on the good wife. She was a recurring character on the good wife. Um, and she's also, you probably don't remember the one episode, but she, in the flashback on lost, she's Ben's mom. Um, uh, I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, the reason she played that is cause she's married to Michael Emerson and oh, all right. It's uh, kind of creepy, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and then his principal or maybe vice principal is Tony Hale. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so it has, you know, it's, it, it has a realistic sort of human sense of humor, uh, to it, but, um, it's also just, it's just devastating in, in that, in how thoroughly it puts you in this kid's, this kid's head and how much it makes you feel for him. Yeah. Um, despite the thing that he's planning on doing. Well, and it's interesting. I feel like, cause I had certain tendencies that were a little bullyish, um, Compared to, honestly, compared to what I hear about bullies now, I guess I was pretty tame. But uh, undoubtedly, there was, you know, I was aggressive towards kids that I often felt a great deal of envy for. Mm -hmm. Uh, They looked the way I wanted to look. They were, you know, they did well with girls and I didn't and all that. And this is sort of, this is more in middle school. Like, I didn't really have, I didn't have, I didn't do theater or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like really worthless. And so I kind of took it out on other people and it's uh, something that I'm very ashamed of. And so I feel like I could absolutely watch this and in my own way, uh, sympathize with this kid, like seeing maybe not violence. I wasn't necessarily violent, but I was verbally uh, a little mean to people and just like wanting to take out your frustration, your own feeling of inadequacy or whatever it is out on other people. Um, and so I feel like I would be able to relate to the kid more than I am comfortable with. I certainly felt that way about mean Creek. Oh um, yeah. And the Josh Peck character, there were moments where I was like, uh Oh, like I get this more yeah. than I'm comfortable admitting. But I mean, in this, if you were the bully in this case, you wouldn't be one of these okay. two kids. Okay. You'd be, yeah. Uh, you'd be the first against the wall. That's a nice joke about. It. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Speaking of things to joke about, let's talk about a comedy. Okay. Um, that I went into really wanting to like, I don't know why I actually, I do know why I want Whitney Cummings to be successful. Okay. And yet she keeps making things that people don't like. Yeah. I mean, she, uh, isn't on the show, but she created two broke girls, which ran for six or right. seven seasons or something. And like, obviously, uh, was only recently canceled, but as a, that was a big hit. So good for her, but I can tell you exactly why it was canceled recently. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's coming back in, oh, um, in okay. the fall. Um, or maybe, they, maybe it, they said this I... coming season is going to be the last. I can't remember now. Okay. Um, but I can tell you why I have sympathy for her. Okay. Because the, when I discovered Whitney Cummings, it was because when I was doing close, I was freelance closed captioning for a living mm-hmm. and I closed captions, captioned episodes of a show called 
the Tony Rock Project, which is Chris Rock's brother. Is that right? That sounds right. Who's yes. A, who's a comic. And this was clearly like, he was like, I'm going to make my Chappelle show mind immensely a type of like, I do, I talk to the audience in between and then we do sketches and like man on the street pieces. Mm-hmm. And it was so, so unfunny. And she was like the co-host of the show again, essentially she yeah. was like, uh, and I, and I was, I could just tell like, she's funnier than this. Yeah. Um, and then like she made Whitney and I know everyone hates her or whatever. Uh, I feel like people were uh, like, especially mean to Whitney Cummings. Um, at that time, certainly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I have theories. I don't know if it's like, is it, I feel like there's a certain thing among comics and people who like comedy who are like, you know, this isn't for people who look like you. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's very conventionally attractive mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, she, dresses like a conventionally attractive woman who wants you to like know that she is good looking. Like, and I wonder if like, like they're like on Silicon Valley, like Richard with the, uh, with the blood boy is like, this isn't, this isn't for you. And I wonder if there's a certain bit of animosity to like, this is like cinema comedy is supposed to be for weirdos and losers and outcasts and you're too good looking. Yeah. It's like, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. You want to be an entertainer? How about this? Go and be the lead in a bunch of movies. Uh, Uh, because you can be, Uh I have to do this. You know, I'm like, I can be schlubby and, and unattractive and socially awkward here on the standup stage. You don't need to be this, you know, you don't need to be doing this. This is kind of all I have. Yeah. So I wonder if I, maybe I'm projecting, but I I wonder if that's why people are especially mean to Whitney Cummings. Um, who's, you know, not the funniest person in the world, but I've always kind of, uh, been a little bit of a fan that said, her directorial debut, which is called The Female Brain, uh, is not very good, mm-hmm. um, sadly. Um, directing comedy is not her strong suit. Plus, the movie, the whole premise of the movie I don't like. It's, it's So it's novel in that it's a sort of, uh, what do you call, uh, why am I thinking of, like, it's an ensemble piece, but it's one that has a bunch of stories that it cuts back and forth between them. Oh. They have nothing to do with one another. It's like an anthology, I guess. And th- there's a word for it. Now I can't think of it. Yeah. So it's one of those. It's not an omnibus, right? No, That's that would a be a bunch thing. of different directors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so it's one of those based on a nonfiction book by a neuropsychiatrist, hmm. um, called the female brain, which is about the way that male and female brains are different. And, it all, I haven't read the book, but the way it's interpreted in the movie all sounds like kind of bullshit reverse engineered pseudoscience type of like, I want to justify stereotypes. And so I'm going to go and right. say, uh, this is because of the size of the, you know, amygdala or whatever is right. different in men and women. Um, it's all, it all sounds like horseshit to me. Um, even though it eventually arrives at a place that I agree with, um, which I think the, the ultimate message of the movie, I think I know because they, you know, they come out and say what the ultimate message of the movie is, uh, is that, um, we shouldn't, that, that there's a cultural tendency to see traditionally feminine social traits Mm -hmm. as being weaker than traditionally male social traits. Right. And we need to realize that people are just different, not better or worse. Sure. And I get on board with that, but so much of it is like, see, women need to gossip because of, I don't know. Oh yeah. Because of, uh. I don't know, Neanderthals or whatever. I don't, I don't, it's, uh, because of Neanderthals. <laughs> now, if that's an actual line, I got to say, this is a weak script. Um, 
Uh, but of course, it's weak. It was written by a woman, I would assume. <laughs> uh, I think she adapted the book okay. as well. Um, uh, Tyler's joking. I, yes, thank you. Um, uh, I wasn't sure if I should say it or not. Yes. Uh, I think everyone knew. Um, okay. But uh, as a director of comedy, she just uh, she needs to tighten it up. Like there's way too much air in between the jokes. Hmm. Plus the rom-com portion of it, which is her and Toby Kebbell, which is an actor that I have liked in the past. Yeah. Um, but they have zero chemistry. It's the kind of movie. It's a kind of romantic comedy where it's like, we're putting these two people in the scene together. So there you go. Yeah. They're supposed to be together, even though they have nothing uh, going on. Yeah. And mostly he's just like the traditional sort of like, I'm going to be a romantic like stalker and be kind of, I'm going to neg you a lot and turn in yeah. like, uh, uh, what was that? What was that show? Uh, anyway, what was that mystery? You know what I'm talking about? The love. What was his name? I don't know. Do you know, know I'm talking about the VH1 show that was like, here's how to here. You're a weird, like a so antisocial nerd. Here's how to, get women by being mean to them. Yes. I don't remember the name of it, but yes. Yeah. And I remember it, uh, it was so, considered terrible. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff. But, um, the, the, there's a couple of, and there's also a story that Sophia Vergara and Dion Cole that I didn't like the two. It's too bad. I like Dion Cole a lot. Uh, yeah, me too. The two main sort of stories that are better is one is Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live, and yep. uh, she was the mayor's assistant in the Ghostbusters movie, uh, the new sure. Ghostbusters movie. Um, and Blake Griffin, who's a professional NBA player, okay. going the LeBron route of being funny in a movie. And I have to say, he's actually funny. Hmm. Um, uh, so they have a nice thing where he's uh, he's a professional baseball player. Sorry, basketball player. That'd be weird to cast a professional basketball player as a professional baseball player. <laughs> yeah. That would actually have been funny. <laughs> Whitney Cummings, call me. Uh, I got some ideas. Um, and she is a uh, advertising exec. Um, and he's like, babe, I'm rich. You don't have to work. And she's like, I want to work. And then um, he gets injured and has to spend like three months at home and sort mm-hmm. of has to like, uh, he has this idea of himself as like the manly man. But when it comes to like being around the house and being like, he, he and he realizes he realizes having been out of the house so much, how much other stuff is done for him. Like he didn't right. like he has like uh, assistants or people on his payroll that he's never even met, like yeah. who do all his shopping and stuff. And so he's coming to terms. He's, he's, he's trying to do things for himself and, and decides to like remodel the bathroom and it doesn't go well. Um, but it's, uh, it's funny. Um, but the real star, the real stars, uh, are, uh, James Marsden and Lucy punch. Um, okay. and, um, Lucy punch. Have you ever seen her in anything? She was on that familiar. show, Ben and Kate. Um, and then she was also one of the, um, mean, uh, stepsisters in into the woods. She saw into the woods. I- the wait the musical the movie version the yeah Marshall uh, yeah i saw it i don't remember okay. much about um, that but well she's great she's a british actress and she's very funny and also she hits the more than anyone else in the cast she hits the emotional parts that she right. has to um where she's you know james marston's kind of this laid-back guy and she's the sort of uh fuss budget i guess is the uh old timey name she's the one who's like constantly trying to like improve him like you should use right right you should cut your hair you should use this product you should do this this yeah. and it causes a lot of tension anyway i'm talking too much about this movie because it wasn't, i was gonna say yeah you're talking a lot good. about a movie you don't care for um, um I, I guess when it has this many characters i feel like i have to like talk about it i was gonna say that it's interesting that you mentioned uh that there's 
too much space in between jokes. And I find myself wondering, it's like, well, that's, that's very sitcom Like we got to wait oh, for yeah. the laugh track. And I wonder I if wonder she's, if that's, yeah, I feel like it would have to be. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, okay. So that, that, uh, unfortunately wasn't very good. Um, I didn't hate it though. Okay. Let's move on to a movie I hated. Okay, let's do it. Let, there, this is a movie has a fantastic cast. I can't even go through all of these people, uh, including our friend Kyle Kinane. Hmm. Um, it's called uh, Izzy Gets the Fuck Across Town. Okay. Um, already I'm on the fence. Like I can't tell if I like that title or I hate that title. Yeah. Um, but now that I hate the movie, uh, uh, I guess I can. I guess it's okay to hate the, the title because the premise is Izzy. You see, mm-hmm. uh, she lives in Los Angeles. She's in Venice. She's a total fuck up. Um, she doesn't have any money. She doesn't have a car that works. Um, and, uh, she sees on Instagram that her ex-boyfriend has gotten engaged and is is in fact having an engagement party that night Mm -hmm. in Los Feliz. How the hell is she going to, she's got to get there to stop, to break up this engagement. Oh my God. How gosh. the hell is she going to get from Venice to Los Feliz? One character actually does say what I wanted to say, which is take the fucking bus. Yeah. They don't say take the fucking bus. One says, why don't you take the bus? And then she's like, no one takes the bus. And then it never addresses that again. And so right there on my shit list, as, yeah, a, as you a person want, you want who to say takes like, public transit, <laughs> like, yeah, people do take the bus when they need it, which incidentally you do. Yeah. So there and also, you go. I mean, you take the bus too. Like, it's not dead. Like I think people have this idea of like, Oh, public transit's like a ghost thing. Like, no, it's no. fucking packed. I have to fight for a seat and I <laughs> yeah. do. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I hate that idea of Los Angeles is like the town where nobody walks. Uh, it's just, no, it's maybe none of the people you associate with walk, but the buses and trains are fucking full all the time. Yes. Uh, there's a reason that off puttingly so that we're, yeah, well, there's a reason we're adding more train lines and, yeah. and extending the purple line. And they extended the expo line, uh, recently anyway. Um, uh, and so I like, I think I was a part of me was maybe kind of checked out on the movie already at that point. But, uh, even after that, it's just, I don't understand how this guy got this director, Christian Papier, pepper, uh, got this cast cause it's an, it's a stellar cast and yet the script and both, both, both from a screenplay standpoint and visually the movie is often incoherent. Okay. Um, like there's a conversation between Mackenzie Davis plays Izzy. Uh, Aaliyah Shawkat is great in the movie. She plays a character. I think, I think she said her name is Ag- Agatha, which is an awesome name for a character sure. to be Agatha. Uh, they have this like conversation. That's like, a, I guess it's about what the movie is about, which is like whether or not you believe in fate, but it's like so forced. And also like people like, like Izzy will respond and it's like, well, this re- response doesn't have anything to do with what Agatha just said. This is right. just what the director or the screenwriter wants to say at this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, and then the, at the end of that scene, there's a part where Izzy gets stabbed. I think that's what happens visually. It's so blurry. Like it, it, it never even shows it. It's, it's unclear exactly what happened. Uh, and that there's that, that kind of shit. And then for a movie that's like positioning itself as a Los Angeles movie, like it's broken into chapters, like, you know, Venice, Mar Vista, Culver City, Miracle, Miracle Mile. Let's be like, no. you know, um, as she's moving east through the through the city, uh, it had, seems to have visually no interest in the city. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, my guess is anybody 
that would say that nobody takes the bus is also someone that would say that Los Angeles isn't that visually interesting. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's true. Uh, but that's not, that's not true. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, but let me, let me run through this cast for you. Okay. Because you got some great people. So I mentioned Mackenzie Davis and Leah Shawcat. You got Haley Joel Osment, who's knocking it out of the park lately. Absolutely. And he actually, he and Leah Shawcat are the two best parts of the movie. Nice. Um, Carrie Coon. Okay. Um, Lakeith Stanfield. Um, oh, you didn't watch Atlanta, but you've definitely seen this guy. Okay. Oh, he was in Get Out. Which I still didn't see. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No, I saw I saw a couple episodes of Atlanta. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, let's see. Oh, oh, Annie Potts. Oh, He's hey. In the movie. Um, Rob Hubel. Okay. You got, yeah, I mentioned Kyle Kinane. You got, yeah, you got a lot of people here. Uh, a lot of good actors, a lot of funny people, and yet the movie is just not very good. But they're people at a very specific level of comedy, so my guess is like he's friends with them. That's what I'm guessing. And yeah. is calling and, and just saying like, hey, can you do me a favor and be in this delightfully titled, at least according to some, I'm sure, yeah. this delightfully titled thing that... Uh, so wait, okay, so I assume the character has very little money. Like she, she yeah, she has no money. She's trying, like, she tries to borrow forty dollars for a cab, and no one. Okay. She also, also nobody likes her. <laughs> um, um, but the see another thing that's incoherent is it doesn't like the. It's not clear how long she has lived in Los Angeles. We know she lived in New York at one point. Okay. She had she and her sister Carrie Coon, um, not the character's name, but uh, right. we're in a band together, and then Carrie Coon left the band and sort of went off and got married to Rob Hubel and had a like a normal life with a little bit more money and Mackenzie Davis Izzy was like, didn't know what to do with herself and has kind of been root, you know, rootless or whatever ever since. But it's unclear how long she's lived in Los Angeles. She seems to put down some roots. She seems to know a lot of people or at least have pissed off a lot of people Hmm. in Los Angeles, but she also doesn't even know where Los Feliz is or how to pronounce it. Uh, You know? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh, that said, I will say after this, um, I ran into our friend Matt Warren, friend oh, okay. of the show. Yeah. Um, not just friend of the show, but he's sort of a member of the Battleship Retention staff, yeah, I guess, right? Absolutely. Uh, even though he's he's a very busy man on his own right now because he works for Film Independent, who put on the LA Film Fest. Um, so I ran into him that night. I ran into him a couple times over the over the weekend. He also, I'll say this, Tyler. You don't do the festival thing I as, don't. as often as I do, so you probably don't know the 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 feeling of the the bumpers that play from sponsors, and there's a festival bumper that plays before every movie, mm-hmm. and usually you're sick of it one second into the second time you've seen it because yeah. you're going to see it over and over and over again. Uh, and I will say, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. Uh, if Matt says on <laughs> that, I'll cut it out. But Matt uh, apparently put together the. LA Film Fest bumper this year, and it was great. It was nice. It was pleasant. It was nice to look at. It was short. It was unobtrusive. Uh, it, it was well done. Well done. Good job, Matt. Yeah. Although I also, uh, I feel better as I kind of stuck my foot in my mouth a little bit with him because there was also the Film Independent ad, which I was like, why didn't you guys make a new one from last year? It's the same one as last year. And he was like, no, this is a different one. I made this one. I felt very bad. Oh boy. Uh, well, it sounds like, uh, man, you got some more work to do. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> um, anyway, I felt, I felt bad about that. Uh, I still feel bad about that. And I should apologize to him. Um, I didn't say it was bad. I just thought it was the same one. As, he just as last took year. the old ad and added a racing stripe and some things <laughs> to lower wind resistance. And there you go. Uh-huh. 
That's what it was. That's from the Simpsons, by the way. Uh, I knew it was from something. Um, all right, let's move on. Oh yeah. Okay. This movie was great. Um, this was my third. So we've talked about my favorite. Mm-hmm. My third favorite movie of the festival was directed by a woman named Camille Thoman, I think, or Thoman. Uh, and it's called never here. And she talked, she introduced the movie. Um, and here spelled how, uh, Oh, in H E R E never, okay. never here. Um, she introduced the movie and she, talked about it as uh, being very Hitchcock inspired and that's absolutely true you can okay. definitely see it but she didn't what she didn't say is that it's also very David Lynchy. Um, it's like as David Lynchy as you can get without actually okay. being directed by David Lynch and I loved it um, the premise is uh, Maria Enos do you know that actress mm-hmm. um, she uh, was on um, The Killing was what she's best oh, known yeah. for. I first knew her from uh, Big Love, where she played a challenging dual role as twins. Hmm. Um, but she was the star of AMC's The Killing, and then later Netflix's The Killing. Who cares? Um, <laughs> so she plays uh, an artist, sort of a conceptual artist, who is having an affair with uh, her married... Uh, she's not married, but her art dealer, played by Sam Shepard, is okay. married. They're having an affair. One night, he's over at her place, She's, she goes into the bathroom or whatever. He's looking out the window and he sees a woman being attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he doesn't want to go to the police because he's, you know, supposed to be at home with his wife right. or whatever. And so she takes his description and calls the police and pretends that she's the one who saw the movie uh, or saw the movie, saw the, saw the attack. Um, now uh, I've been told, I've never seen this movie, but I've been told that, what I've described up until now is basically the exact same premise of a movie that Curtis Hansen made in 1987 called the bedroom window okay. with uh, Steve Gutenberg and Elizabeth McGovern and Elizabeth and Isabel Huppert. Okay. Um, but, uh, from there it changed. Don't worry. If you're okay. a big fan of the bedroom window, uh, by Curtis Hansen, um, which now I really want to see. Yeah. Um, don't worry. It gets, it goes on from there and it gets weird. Uh, this is where the, so that what I've described right there is her, you know, sort of, she sort of gets ripped in, r- roped into this, like, criminal investigation that's a that's a hitchcock type of right. type of thing um and the voyeurism obviously is a hitchcock thing um and there's much more voyeurism than i've even talked about it's a huge part of the movie um but uh what happens then is and this isn't really even plot it just sort of she starts by pretending to be someone else. And a lot of her art is also about like taking the mundane things of other people's lives and sort of like seeing something in them and maybe seeing mm-hmm. more than they want you to see in them. Um, that causes some problems w- with her. And so her identity essentially begins to slip away. Oh. Um, uh, you know, she like, and she like, she keeps thinking someone's coming into her apartment. She finds chairs in different places. Um, she starts to wonder if her dog is actually her dog or if someone came in and, like took her dog and put a new German shepherd in her apartment, like weird stuff. And then there's this, then there's a man that she sees walking around a lot, um, played by Goran Viznik from, uh, ER. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and the deep end, right? The deep end. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, that she, no, 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 she never saw the attacker, right? But she's, she's, she convinces herself based on Sam Shepard's description that this is the attacker. And so she starts following him everywhere. But is she, now is she the creep? <laughs> like, uh, and I didn't want to like it. There, there's stuff that I can't really even, um, describe in including, and 
an ending that is like on the one hand, super weird, but on the other hand, super subtle to where like, no. uh, Natalie came with, this is the one movie she came with me to see. And afterwards I'd be like, so that shot did, did what happened? Did what I think happened happen? And she was yeah. like, yeah, that was my interpretation. It's very cool. That very sounds cool great. Yeah. It's called never here. I don't know if it, it I don't, I haven't heard that it has distribution yet. Oh, I but, hope so. Um, yeah. It's very cool. Uh, all right. Um, the one that I missed by the way, that uh, the, the one movie that was on my list that I really wanted to see, um, that I didn't get to see, uh, was a movie called monkey business, which is a documentary about the creators of curious George. Oh, neat. <laughs> and apparently it was a big hit at the festival. I heard a lot of, hmm. uh, I heard good things, but that doesn't mean as much. I will say this, um, as much as I love LA film fest, um, I really do look forward to it every year. They did a thing this year that was odd, uh, for a film festival in that every movie only screened once, which allowed them to program more movies. But usually part of the fun of a festival is like a movie screens that maybe you didn't know much about. And then like you start hearing on Twitter or, you know, when you're drinking your free golden or brewery brewery beers at the, at the lounge. Um, uh, open 3 p.m. till midnight. Uh, <laughs> uh, you start hearing about a movie, and then you're like, "All right, I got to rearrange my schedule, you know, to try and fit this in." If it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, you know, I love that at, uh, at Sundance certainly, uh, and I've loved that about LA Film Fest's past. But yeah, you didn't get that, so I missed Monkey Business, and once you miss it, you miss it. Yeah, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, anyway, okay. I wonder if they'll go back to uh, go back to the old format next year. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could, I could see it going either way. Um, I guess we'll see how much of a success it was. Uh, all right. Next up is a movie that I, that was at Sundance that I missed, uh, that I'm glad I got a chance to see. It's called Patty Cakes. Oh yeah. Um, P A T T I C A K E dollar sign. Yeah. That's how it's pronounced. Uh, and it is about a, uh, white girl in her early twenties who really wants to be a rapper. And mm-hmm. she is, uh, from, a you know, uh, you know, rough side of the tracks, mm-hmm. um, and doesn't have a lot of money and is kind of shy, but also writes these great, these great rhymes. Um, and in many ways, this is a pretty standard sort of underdog, like, you know, eight mile, which was Rocky, <laughs> you know, yeah. type of type of story, but it gets so many f- specific things right about its, its setting and its tone, including things that you and I have talked about before, which is, uh, number one, it has, it, it backs it, it backs it up. The, her rhymes are good. Yeah. Like, I mean, like yeah. she's not exactly Eminem. It's, it's almost even more impressive than eight mile because like we are, we know Eminem's one of the great right. rappers. She's like, she's good. And yeah. so you can see like, Oh, she could be someone, but it's not like none of the music is mind blowing, but it's good enough. Yeah. And I found that really interesting. Um, and then also, this is another, this is something that I really love. Uh, it's a movie that recognizes that most people have to spend a lot of their time at their job, you know? Yeah. And so when you're trying to like put, you know, throw together an album, you don't have days at a time to like work on beats and stuff. Like right. sometimes you're going to have to leave cause you got to go be at work. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love that. That's a big part of the, of this movie. Um, and so, so much of it, it's, is on the one hand it's maybe slightly predictable but uh on the other hand it's all done with such precision uh and with such a sense of of 
relatable fun. It, you know what? I didn't think about this when I wrote the review or even at the time, but just saying it right now, it reminds me of Sing Street in that oh, okay. way. Did you see Sing I Street? Didn't. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another one that's like, there's not a lot of surprises in the plot wise, yeah. but it's, uh, it's crafted with such care and it's so much fun to watch. So, uh, I'm really glad I saw, I saw patty cakes. I'm going to say that's my fourth favorite thing I saw. Okay. And you haven't said, you haven't said your second, right? Nope. The second okay. one is actually the last one. Okay. Um, I think next up is my fifth favorite. So we, we have a, we have a top five. Okay. But the second one is the last one. My fifth favorite. Have you said your least favorite? Um, I, well, I think it's Izzy gets the fuck across. Okay. I don't think I said that, but okay. I, uh, yeah, I really just dis- disliked that movie. Um, well, you know, okay. Uh, when I ranked, ranked my five, I'm not including the big sick because I didn't see that at the festival. Sure. Um, um, yeah, let's, let's not worry about the big sick. It's fucking okay. great. Uh, okay. So number five of the things I saw at the festival <laughs> is a movie that I didn't even really plan on seeing, but like, um, I ended up getting off work and like the next movie, that I wanted to see wasn't starting till later. And I, and I got off work early enough that I was like, uh, I can cram this movie in, you know, it's 90 minutes long or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's called, uh, don't come back from the moon. Um, and, uh, it, uh, I say it stars James Franco and Rashida Jones, but it doesn't really, they're the, they're the two big names in it. They're parents, but their son okay. is the star of the movie. Um, and it has this really great subtle conceit to it which is that it takes place in a uh, <coughs> poverty-stricken small desert town. Okay. Um, and Is it called Taft, California? Uh, no, I think it's. it doesn't say Salt and Sea, but I think okay. it's supposed to be a Salt and Sea type. I, I meant to look up where they shot it, but because there is a, a lake there um, that no one goes to, and they talk about how it used to be a tourist place, so it, it feels very Salt and Sea. Okay. Um, and... Um, Basically, the uh, the jobs have all gone, and so one by one, these families, the dads keep sort of running out in the middle of the night, just leaving their families behind mm-hmm. to go, you know, in theory, to go look for work and bring money back and bring their families, but a lot of them never, or just, just leave their families behind. Oh, wow. Um, and one of them, when he leaves, he leaves a note that says, um, going to the moon or something like that. And so it becomes a thing with all the kids. Like that's the shorthand from like my dad left is my dad went to the moon. Um, and so what it ends up, but it doesn't, it it doesn't make super explicit that that's just a saying, like it sort of has this feeling of we, we know what's going on, but we could, if you could, if you squint, convince yourself, this is some sort of sci-fi dystopia, Yeah, (laughs) you you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and people's, parents keep disappearing and then like it becomes this thing where the uh, it becomes this sort of lord of the flies where the younger kids are just like the one the one who says um uh that he's going to the moon was he owned like the only bar in this neighborhood mm-hmm. and so his like teenage daughter just like opens the bar and she and her friends start like hanging out there and it starts being like what you'd think teenagers would be like just making a mess and having yeah. parties but then eventually it just becomes like a bar. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it was sort of like, it's like kids like play, play acting it as adults, but then they actually kind of are because yeah. there's no one else looking out for them. Or, you know, uh, uh, it's a really interesting movie. It's shot. A lot of it is, it's it shot very, you know, um, uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, elegaically or elegiacally? Oh, yeah. It's based on elegy, but I don't yeah. know how you say that, that form of the word. Um, but it's sort of, sort of very lyrical handheld, 
magic hour type of mm-hmm. uh, photography. A lot of stuff happens in slow motion. There's a lot of uh, whispered voiceover type of. It's that it's oh. that kind of movie, and it's 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 well made. It's I, it's the kind of thing where it's. I look forward to seeing what the director comes up with next. What's the name of the director? Uh, it's Bruce Terry. He's it's a three name guy. Okay, and now I'm forgetting. I think it's Bruce Terry something. Um. All right. Well, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, that sounds. You still, you still have not seen Never Let Me Go, correct? No, I haven't. I, I think you would like that uh, quite a bit. Um, and yeah, this sounds. There's definitely. I mean, there's definitely something going on. Like with when this many parents are abandoning their children, like there's there's something going on. Like it's not just like a hip trend or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It might not be that they're being abducted or anything, but, uh, I don't know. It definitely feels like some kind of allegory more than a, than a straightforward narrative. So that sounds, uh, delightful. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like, it sounds like something out of, uh, sounds like something the Polish brothers would have done. Oh yeah. You know, but it doesn't feel like their kind of, uh, of movie because it's so, it's so, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think who it, who it feels like. I mean, it's sort of like a post mumblecore type of right. uh, uh, aesthetic. It's, you know, shot in scope and it's very sort of lyrical. Um, I I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I guess, uh, you can go to David Gordon green pretty easily. Sure. Um, yeah, maybe that's where I'll go. Okay. Uh, Bruce Terry Chung is his name. Okay. Um, and then finally, my second favorite thing that I saw, uh, and this one I saw with uh, our friend Scott. He came. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't covering the fest, but he came uh, down to see uh, this one movie. Um, it's the new film from uh, Hong Sang Soo, the Korean director, uh, and it's called On the Beach at Night Alone. Uh, and this, I'd seen his last. Now Scott's a huge Hong Sang Soo fan. Okay. Um, and I had never seen any of his stuff until AFI Fest last year when I saw Yourself and Yours, and I wasn't blown away by it. Mm. Um, but I was certainly interested and I'm really glad that I stayed out uh, in Culver city late to see the late movie, uh, mm. to see on the beach at night alone, because I think it's, uh, incredible. Um, it's not only one of my favorite movies of the festival, it's my favorite youth movies of the year, uh, so far. Um, as far as what the story is, I don't think that's really, a big deal <laughs> what the story yeah. is. Uh, it's mostly about a woman or possibly two different women played by the same actress. There's two, there's a part one and a part two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not entirely clear if she's supposed to be the same person. Uh, in the first part, she's, um, uh, on vacation with a friend in, I think Berlin, a German city. Definitely. Um, I think it's supposed to be Berlin and they're just sort of like, they mostly they just they just talk, but then there's like weird things. Like there's this other um, Korean man who keeps popping up and like um, is and acting weird, like asking them what time it is. And eventually they're like they're like at the park and they see him coming. And like let's pretend we don't see him and get out of here. Yeah. Um, and then <coughs> and that, and the other thing is the two parts are not of equal length. Like the first one is only about the first part is only about 25 minutes. And then the rest of the movie is the second part where she's possibly the same person back from her trip. Okay. And she's back in a, in a small town where she, uh, used to visit where she has friends and she is, I guess getting back, uh, with her friends and they hang out and get drunk and catch up. Uh, and then she decides to move there. So she's staying in a hotel, but it's mostly just, this movie is mostly about people talking but there's something 
you know, there's something else going on in, in, in every, in, in every scene yeah. because, um, the characters aren't necessarily, or she as a character is not necessarily consistent. We learn things about her that it's like, um, how did I not know? <laughs> like, how, how did we go this far in the movie and this not come up? This seems right. like a big part of her. And then there's also, uh, yeah, the weird stuff like, uh, just the stuff like that guy who keeps showing up in the first one is happening uh, in the second one uh, as well. Um, and so it's, it's on the one hand, it's a very talky movie, but it's not at all what that description makes it sound like, yeah. you, you know, that makes it sound, uh, sort of like, a you know, like a Richard Linklater movie or something, which is, mm-hmm. which is great. But no, this is uh much stranger, much more like Louis, Louis Bunuel actually in that there's, um, these surreal elements and uh, the conversations are dryly and awkwardly funny a lot of the time. Hmm. Um, and, you know, they're, uh, then they seem to follow their own logic. Like there's uh, a scene that starts with a normal conversation and then goes to where she's uh, screaming at all her friends that they're not qualified to love anyone. And then it ends in, um, and then it gets, it goes into a lesbian kiss from there. And then everyone at the table is kissing. And like, this is still the same, still the same scene. Uh, and, um, so you see what I'm saying about the Boonwell type yeah, of thing. Yeah. It's, it, it's no one is like breaking the fourth wall to let you know what's happening is weird. Right. It's all presented matter of fact. Yeah. But what's going on is not necessarily real life. Did you already say this? I was looking at my phone a moment ago that it's, you said Boonwell, like a discreet chairman of the bourgeoisie is like, it's yes. very similar. Yes, to this that. is okay. very Boonwell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's the first thing I, I came up with, but, uh, hmm. this is one of the ones this and don't come back from the moon and other are the two that I haven't written the reviews for yet. Partially, you know, mostly because of the last two I saw, but also because they might be the two diffi- most difficult to write about. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see next week when I've written the review uh, how I've processed my feelings in this movie a little more. But, okay, uh, so let's do this. So that's all of them, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So putting aside the three you'd already seen. Yes. All right, let's rank these things. Number one. Uh, and then I go. Number two. On the beach at night alone. Number three. Never here. Number four. Patty cakes. Number five. Um, don't go back from the moon. Number six. Okay, now I have to rank the right, right. The middle of the road ones. Yeah. Um, cause there are nine yeah. total. And so I have to rank the next best one is going to be, wait, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh no, there are only eight. Oh, there are only eight. Okay. How'd that happen? One, two. Did you forget to, to write one no, down? No, there's okay. nothing. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know why I, I, I counted nine. There are only eight. So I've got five. And right. we know that eight is Izzy. Yeah. So now I have to say, um, I guess I'll put female brain next, then the okay. beauty mark. Okay. All right. Then just, just beauty mark, not the beauty mark. It definitely, it's female brain. based on your description, it definitely sounds like female brain should be flipped. Okay. With the beauty mark, because it just female brain just sounds like such a misfire. But I guess I, I'm th- I guess I'm the with, with with distance. I'm just like remembering the things that I liked about, okay. it, which is that it has laughs. Okay, in it, most That's of them something. come from James Marsden and Lucy Punch. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and also Blake Griffin and Cecily Strong. And do you know 
any of the distribution uh, circumstances mean, with any Patty of these? Cakes is coming out in <laughs> yes, August. Yes, that one. Searchlight. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, uh, I, I actually ended up meeting the producer of And Then I Go, and she said, they don't, but this was a few days ago. My deals might've yeah. been happening, but they don't have anything. Uh, Did you give this producer your card? I never carry cards. You son anymore. of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Hey, you made this wonderful thing that I absolutely love and am going to rave about. I have well, already, see I you have, later. I have an email. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So I don't know if any of these, uh, have, have distribution. I really hope that this was a overall, solid year you sounds know? like it um to uh, uh you know la film fest can be as much as i love it it can be hit or miss because it it goes with so much stuff that you know is from uh untested or lightly tested directors right. um uh so to see like five things that i'm uh, yeah. positive on uh and of plus, course plus the stuff that's Maudie and yeah. little hours and big sick which are so that's eight uh, things that I'm positive on. Anyway, um, yeah, good year. Absolutely. All right, sounds good. Maybe next year I'll try to go. Yeah, you, you, you I think should. I probably could. Yeah, you could. Um, you get some of that free Golden Road Brewery beer or a cocktail with a free Maker's Mark. The LA Film Festival Lounge brought to you by Maker's Mark and Golden Road Brewery. Could I just get a Coke? <laughs> yes, you can just get a Coke. All right. <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, all right. So you can find reviews of almost all of those movies and soon all of them at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, what's going on in your other podcast? Let's see. The most recent episode of More Than One Lesson, I have my friend Tyler Stracely on, who I believe you've met once or twice. I think he did... Uh, I think our, he participated in one of our uh, uh, fantasy drafts, but that might have been before yeah, you showed up. Before me, yeah. um, but anyway, he's a, he's a writer's assistant, but uh, he just uh, wrote his first ever episode of a show and it is, uh, the, the good place. Oh, cool. He wrote episode 10 of season two, which will begin airing in, uh, in September. So we talk about that. And then I did also want to let everyone know that I do have an official dedicated website for my book worth watching. So if you go to worthwatchingbook.com, you can, uh, it's very bare bones, but I'll tell you everything you need to do. And, uh, you can just order it through there if you live in the United States, cause I'm not shipping anywhere else. Cause it's, uh, more expensive um so yeah just uh, putting that out there all right um thanks for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 